0: What's up world? I got a question for you. What is it that makes coffee so damn good? Maybe it's that caffeine and dopamine hit you get after pounding a pot or two. Or perhaps it's that feeling of connection that you get when you sit down with another person to work on yourselves in the process of recovery. Maybe it's the fact that you take something so bitter and turn it into something so delicious. Whatever it is, we in the recovery community love our coffee. And why not? Coffee is fuel. Coffee is love. Coffee is life. That's what makes Brainwashed Coffee the perfect partner for the Other Side of Hell podcast. Not only is every flavor of Brainwashed Coffee mastered and handcrafted by obsessive minds who won't stop until they've gotten it just right, but 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community to help those who may still be suffering, which makes Brainwashed Coffee a no-brainer. My personal favorite is Ego Ain't Your Amiga. A nice blend of Ethiopian and Guatemalan bean with a hint of citrus, dried fruit, and caramel flavor makes it a delicious blend for any time of day. Right now, you can go to brainwashedcoffeeco.com and use promo code OTHERSIDE for 20% off your coffee purchase. Brainwashed coffee. Clean your bean. We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk
1: about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering.
0: Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together
1: we can get better. Hey, what's up everybody? I am Cameron. And I'm Willie. Welcome to the Other Side of Hell Podcast. What's up, Willie? Hello. Welcome back. Thank you for
0: having me. This is yeah. wonderful. I'm glad you could join us today. I am too. It'd be a pretty boring show if it were just me. It's it's an honor to get to be on this side of the table this many times. We've been here for a minute. Dude, this done is... A, done a show or two. Yeah. Does it feel like it gets easier? No. Oh, Yeah. <laughs>
1: Do You feel like you ever don't have any anxiety about no, the show?
0: No, I'm just today. I'm used to it. I'm I'm good with it. You just sort of used yeah. to being uncomfortable. Yeah, for a I minute. had a, I had a really good time on the last shoot. Um, really energized me, and I think I'm gonna have a great time on this this shoot too. I hope so. I'm gl- I'm grateful to have another chance.
1: We really have again. a great story from Haley. Yeah, and she Haley's been around for a minute. She. She's somebody who's uh who just loves the show, yeah, and I'm a huge fan of hers, me too. I'm a huge fan of hers, and she uh we we decided we wanted to talk about second chances thanks for giving me
0: another chance to be on the show, yeah, you guys, all you guys
1: everybody, everybody, thanks for all the <laughs> chances you've given us to entertain you, yes, and to talk a little bit about recovery with you, yeah, we wanted to talk about uh second chances because she's had a few, yeah. You feel like we've had any? Yeah, I've had some close calls
0: and some some lucky hits, I guess. Blessed. Lucky breaks. Lucky breaks. I'm blessed to be here. Definitely had some chances, more than one, more than two, more than three.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely this like underlying feeling that uh, that we are the lucky ones, right? Yeah. Those of us that make it to a point in our recovery where we can say, you know, that, that we have been removed with the obsession to, to drink or use, I think are, are the lucky ones. Mm-hmm. And that to me feels like a second chance. Well, like, and, and to have a program, right? Right. Yeah. Well, a design for living Yeah. to have a, a design for living that, um, that is so much less chaotic than, than the way we were living life before. And, uh, and, and so when it comes to second chances, like, we're gonna we're gonna let uh Haley talk a little bit about some of her second chances but what are what are some of the second chances you found uh, uh, you know outside of uh of recovery did you ever have any outside instances of like recovery that? yeah well, I mean you know we can talk about things that may have happened to you while under the influence like I know for instance that you had a couple of car accidents
0: I did right yeah so That's fun. That's so weird that you bring that up because like I have a guy that that I work with now and, um, we've known each other for years mm -hmm. for a really long time, Mike. And, um, when he's doing good, he's doing good. Right. But we use together a lot. And, um, I wrecked my truck on my 21st birthday, right in front of a sheriff. Like if, if, if I wouldn't have hit the light pole, I would have took that sheriff out. And we were just talking about that story, like, a couple days ago, how how far we've come since that day. Yeah,
1: well, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, isn't that kind of nice that we have those experiences to gauge our progress with? Yeah. So, but, and I think that those are the moments that it's like, dude, like, I I could definitely not be here. Yeah.
0: But, man, you're taking me back. Like, like So I ran away. I fell in love oh. when I was, when I was in the sixth grade and In the uh, sixth grade. Yeah. With food. Uh, yeah, I had a, I had a, a passion for food, you know, but I mean, I, by, by the sixth grade, I was already drinking, smoking all the time. I would drink once in a while, but you know, I, I fell in love and she broke up with me. Mm. Young love. Yeah. Um, At that age, you always feel like that's the end of the world. (laughs) Obviously, she was the one. Yeah. You know, and um, I already had problems. Like, you know, if if you listen to my story, you know that uh, I was already had a low self-esteem. I Mm -hmm. already didn't feel good in my own skin. I was already dabbling in self-harm and violence and stealing and gang activity. You know, this stuff started when I was young. So I was 12 and uh, she broke my heart. And I decided I was gonna move to Vegas alone. Mm-hmm. And I look back on it now, you know, uh I see a twelve year old and I'm like, fuck, that is a that's that's a, ins- that's a baby. Yeah. You know. Uh but twelve year old there's you know, I mean we've heard stories on, on the show, you know, twelve year old uh can go through some shit, but you know, I I decided I was gonna run away. I was gonna go to Vegas and make a new beginning there. So I stole, I, I had $18 in cash. All you need. <laughs> yep. That's it. I had a pack of cigarettes and two beers. Um, I decided I was going to take the family car. It was a Lincoln Continental town car, four door, which hence my passion for whips, large, large vehicle whips. Um, and what are, what are whips? A whip. It's yeah. A, it's a sweet car. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't got a whip. I don't have. It's a whip. not. It's not. I. I would say it's not your, your primary vehicle, but it's your sweet ride. Yeah. You seen my whip? I got a whip now. Yeah, but, I seen it. I just thought. I thought we were talking like Indiana Jones. <laughs> no, we're talking about a car whip. But that's okay, Cameron. We come from different backgrounds, so. Yeah, I decide, I decide that uh, my background involves Indiana Jones. <laughs> I, I decide that I'm going to go to Las Vegas. And, and re- remember, I grew up in a small town in Wyoming and I had never been really anywhere. You know, this is the this is the mindset. Why did you why, why Vegas? Well, uh kid came to town with the with the pipeline. His dad worked on the pipeline uh, his name was JD, and he wore a black trench coat, so automatically I was attracted to that. Yeah, okay. Um, he smoked. Um, he came up from Vegas, and uh, I was discussing it with him, and he gave me a contact. You know, he gave like, me a contact. 12 an address. Contact. Yeah. He said, you get to Vegas, and these guys will take care of you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can this, just a, see this This is a true story, <laughs> you guys. I can just see this playing out. You like, know? and so uh i pushed the car out of the driveway that night and i put i put pillows on the seat and i drove now i was i I had asked dustin if he wanted to come with me and and at the time he said no and for you guys who don't know who dustin is he's the guy that gives me all my tattoos i've talked about him several times on the show we grew up together used a lot together he's still in my life but Uh, He said no, so I I was going to go it alone. I went over to JD's, I got the address, I told him goodbye, and I got on the highway. JD's like, would you show up? Give this guy 12 gummy bears, they'll (laughs) take care of you. (laughs) He also also deals in Crayola currency. (laughs) Right. Um, And so uh, I left, and and I got about, um, well, I mean, you know where Echo is, but... um, you know, for those who don't know, it's about 30 miles outside of my hometown where I fell asleep. And I, I drove the car off the cliff. Um, it rolled end over end. Um, it knocked me out, but it was so late at night that, um, I was all alone. Mm -hmm. Um, I had fallen asleep at the wheel. I too was wearing a black trench coat because, you know, my mom bought me weird shit as, as i would have Your mom before. loved you and yeah, you probably she, begged her for yeah, it. Yeah, and. and she wanted me to be happy and you know, I thought it would be cool to have a trench coat so i could hide my shotgun under it and all that kind of stuff, but um i wrecked the car and i remember i crawled out of the back window into a pond and then i crawled up the bank back onto the highway and and i started walking down the middle of the highway. And some semis had passed me. Well, they started talking on the CB, obviously, that there was somebody on the road mm-hmm. walking around. Watch out for it. And this guy, he, this guy in a semi, he stopped. And I thought I was still walking towards Utah. I wasn't planning on going home. Like, I still yeah. had a mission yeah. to fulfill. And uh, he picked me up. And the first thing he asked me, is like, where are your parents? Right? Because I felt like a fucking an adult. I was, right. I was driving to Vegas in a car with 18 bucks you know, but, um, you know, my life began like having second chances after that. They, they brought, he brought me back to Wyoming. I was rock walking the wrong way, dropped me off at the port of entry. Uh, you know, the sheriffs came and I, everything, my parents finally showed up, you know, I'd wrecked the family car. Now we were out of a car, fucking ran away, um, missed school, all, all that stuff. But that's kind of how inevitably these second chances worked for me. i get in really close calls. Mm. I would be turned over to some type of authority for a reset. And that happened over and over and over and over in my life. So when you say a second chance, it wasn't just one second chance. It was many, many chances to try to get this thing right yeah. to a point where I could be comfortable in my own skin. right? Because ultimately, that's where... And, and I could really relate with Haley ultimately, like that's where all of my problems came from was my inability to communicate how I felt, right. The, the opportunity to, to say how I feel and it not be well received. And then my inability to find my placement in life comfortably, right? Because I didn't fit anywhere. I didn't fit on the football field. I didn't fit in the classroom. I didn't fit on the streets. You know, I mean, I found my home in the streets because everybody on the streets didn't feel good in their right. own skin. And we could tolerate each other and we could get high and we could have a good time and make each other kind of feel a part of, right? That whole drug scene mentality. But those guys didn't feel good in their own skin either. They wouldn't have been killing themselves, right? So we, we were all just kind of feeding each other's disease on the streets. But I still didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. And so I would... Burn my life to the ground. And for some reason, Cameron, I don't know, really know why, and I haven't really put this together. I haven't really thought about it. But for some reason, after burning my life to the ground, that fresh start was always a place of hope that this is going to work this time. Mm-hmm. And then something would happen, whether it was an hour after the incident, a day, a month, a week, or a year after the incident, I'd inevitably get uncomfortable in my skin, and go back to what didn't work. Relapse. Yeah. Try it again. Yeah. Well. So I, that's a fun story.
1: <laughs> no, I'm I'm wondering like what had you ever driven before?
0: Yeah, at twelve. Like, yeah. Well, I had a motorcycle. Sure. You know, know. And so that that helps. A go kart. You know, we drove a go kart. That helped. And then yeah, I mean. Uh, we get we get put behind the wheel and stuff. I mean, I grew up in Wyoming, so right, yeah. And your parents after that happened? Or? I got grounded for three months. I probably did a month. My brother was pissed. Oh, my poor, <laughs> you know, because that was, his car. was, oh, was his car. He was in high school. Oh, was his car? He was in high school. So when he borrowed the family ride, go pick up his buddies and shit. That's what he took. Dude, you know, I,
1: my twelve-year-old brother stole my car. You guys, I'm sorry. I can't come. Yeah, I can't come pick you up.
0: fucking brother, you know, uh, scared my mom to death. Yeah. Um, I, and she, she remembers that night. Um, but that was, that was really the beginning of my legal troubles and it just got worse from there. You know, I mean, I was 12, like I've, I've said before, you know, by age 13 was the first time I didn't come home for Christmas. Mm -hmm. I was 15. The first time I got arrested for being in a stolen car. And then from age 15 to 24, there was 19 arrests. Um, different, different crimes, different periods on probation and parole, you know, just a shit show for yeah. life.
1: <laughs> well, but what's interesting and, and I think, you know, in, in Haley, in her story, she talked, she talked a little bit. She went through a couple of things where she really did get like a second chance at life. Right. Um, and, you know, in her story, those weren't the instances that she got sober, right? Right. In your story, you were given many, many second chances. Um, and they're not lost. Like these, these moments that we have where maybe things happen to us and we're struck with like a moment where we decide that shit needs to change. Mm -hmm. They're not lost on us just because that's not the moment that we, we actually quit or we cease to use or we cease that behavior. It doesn't mean
0: that that didn't
1: plant some sort of spe- seed that contributed to
0: our growth or 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 give us an uh, like you said, another chance to get to the one
1: right, yeah, exactly the, that is going to be yeah. the one that spurs that change.
0: because yeah, I mean, growing up, and like uh when Haley was talking about well. You know, she talks about her musical style and and stuff like that as a kid, you know, like 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 those instances in my life where I was given a second chance at life also fed to my ego. Mm -hmm. Right. Because then I could go to the people that were also using. Uh, that that weren't comfortable in their skin, and I could tell that story to gain validation of how crazy and reckless, and, right? You know, get that you know that you that guys image. think you're crazy. I'm crazy. I'm crazy. Listen to what I did. and then people would talk about me. And they'd be like, "Oh man, he's so nuts!" Like, did you hear what he did or what happened to this? You know, this this thing or that thing, and it would it would play to my ego and it would play to my image, and then. That would boost me. And, and for those moments when people were talking about me like that, I would feel comfortable in my skin. I would feel Somewhat accepted, validated right. and, and like, okay, this is, this is, this is what I've been looking for. And then you know, need more of it. Get addicted. Yeah. You know, burn my life to the ground. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny because like you were sharing that story and I was trying to think of, um, you know, because I wasn't listening to you at all. Like, I <laughs> um but anyways, like I was in my head like you will later to, thinking to myself. Um no, I was I was just like it it reminded me of um you know opportunities or moments in my own life where uh you know death was maybe close, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't have any instances behind the wheel or any you know any anything that took place in a hospital bed. But I definitely, you know, I had a hard time picking out one specific instance, um, while I was using that, that, you know, I would say that's the moment that is my second chance because I feel like there was so many things that took place. Like for, for example, this is just one, right? Like, and I was talking, I was talking to my friend about this the other day, um, you know i have a friend that got married two friends that got married i became really good friends with his wife too and um and their wedding took place in a town probably about 30 miles from here and um and i made it a point to get hammered before i went you know so sure. I, I pregame i drove drunk there i showed up i made a complete ass of myself I was completely inappropriate with the bride and um, and some of the guests and they had I'm I'm certain I took alcohol with me um, and they had an open bar and uh, and I don't remember the drive home I mean I drove you know 30 miles home and you know, she's getting a phone call. The bride on her wedding day is getting a phone call from somebody who's following me saying he is all over the road. Like what he's not going to, he's not okay. And it's like, that's the last thing they should be thinking about. Like on their wedding night is how I showed up was completely inappropriate with them and then drove home, you know? And I don't remember any of that. Like the fact that I didn't a die B go to jail like I really, or, or see like lose some friends over it. Yeah. Um, you know, is, is absolutely amazing. And that's like one of many second chances that I felt like I got with all those things. It's like, and, and, and it really was like one of those moments where I'm like, fuck, like what, what's going on with me? Like, I can't really, I can't go to an event like that and not be completely hammered. Like I, I have to be drunk. And, and, and I was, dude, I was fucking the master of Irish goodbyes. Just gone. Peace out. Like, where's Cameron? Don't know. He left because dude, if you, if you knew I was going to drive, you would stop me because you're a good friend. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm like, fuck that. I'm not giving you the opportunity. I'm peacing out, Mm -hmm. you know? And that was, that was one of many many things God, that have
0: they're, they're just flooding in now you know my you, you overdose you know what i'm saying yeah. yeah you know i i was thinking about your your Benadryl right instance mm-hmm. you know the the guns in the face you know the, i mean every, every time you buy illicit of drugs off the street like you're fucking taking a chance just yep. you never you never know you know mm-hmm. um violent situations um you know going to the bar but but there there 's big ones like that right right that yeah. that you can go back and look and i think I think one of the things that that I continually got a second chance on um, or chance after chance after chance to get right was having a relationship with my family, mm-hmm. you know and i think Good point. I, I think that's a, a huge a huge deal for me now, and i try to I try to honor that the best I can and and be grateful for. For, for that, because um, by rights, everybody could have washed their hands of me. Mm-hmm. I, I had betrayed the trust of, of everybody in my life over and over and over and over again. And, and that's what is so appealing about the process of recovery in which we've taken. And, and, and we've talked about it several times. You know, we're, we're, we come from a 12-step background, but we found that these principles of, of men's making— uh, Are are universal across the board. Right. Right. Like, like I was finally able after enough times, somehow I was finally able to admit that I had a problem, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, initially I thought that my problems was drugs and alcohol. And, uh, I rode that for a long time. You know, I thought, well, my, my problem is drugs. If I don't do drugs, I'm going to be okay.
1: Yeah. Initially I thought my problem was moderation. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah, you for, know, like, yeah, I just
1: need to figure out how to not do so well, much
0: well she talks about that right you know she mm-hmm. talks about like I thought I'd get out of treatment and just be able to drink like a normal person yeah. you know like the great illusion of every alcoholic yeah, how many
1: of us when we first went into treatment were under that same guise? like I just fucking got to go into treatment so that they'll <laughs> teach me how I can drink oh. like Jordan's nodding <laughs> in the background there like that's that's many, many, many yeah. the story of each alcoholic. And if I first just get to know treatment. myself
0: well, right? You know, I can I can finally you know let everybody know how my mom messed me up. Right. And they can agree with me that it's my dad's fault, and that if this country was different, they would drink like me too. If and they I knew can, how I felt, <laughs> they could identify, and, and then I'll get the free pass to use and drink. But they're going to teach me how to do it like a gentleman. And then I will be happy. Yeah, I'll be happy when I can drink like a normal person. I'll be happy. I'll be able to keep a job. (laughs) Shit. No, no, man. No, I'm a fucking alcoholic. Yeah. The second it goes in me, the obsession kicks in and I move on to hopefully another chance. Because uh, that's the bottom line. If you're still alive, you've been given another chance.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, on that note, like something that I, I had to think about a lot was, was with that in mind, knowing that I have been given this second chance and, and I, I absolutely felt that way. I still feel that way. Yeah, me too. um, that I have been given another chance, especially when, when I did go through a treatment program and I saw the people that weren't making it. The people that, that didn't, that didn't come back and, and, and weren't successful and, and weren't able to recover like, or get like sober. People that died, Pe- people that died or people that went back out or people, you know, like just people that were still struggling. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, you know, and I came to realize, man, I really am fucking one of the lucky ones, you know? Um, so what am I going to do with this life? like, really, like, if, if, if there's got to be a reason why I'm still here, and there's so many people that aren't, right? Mm -hmm. And we were looking up some of the statistics before the show, and it's like, there's, there's 10% of people that are affected with alcohol or addiction that, that seek treatment. And of those 10%, 3% get sober and stay sober. And so that works out to be like 1% one 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 point two percent of all addicts or alcoholics actually sober up and stay sober. Yeah. And to me that is just I mean, if I'm one of one percent, I'm a fucking anomaly, dude. I'm yeah. a miracle. Like and so there's got to be a reason why I'm still here. Like I believe that wholeheartedly. Like there's a reason why I'm still here and it's not it's not to continue to be miserable. Yeah. It's not to continue to live a life not worth living. So, you know, I've got to make the most of what I have. Yeah. I think something that helped me too was I had um, a, you know, and I've talked about it before, I had a a cousin that passed away. It was really close to me, pass away. And so I was very, very close to the fact that there was so much life that he didn't get to live, you know. Mm. And so it was like, dude, like I have my whole life ahead of me to live a life that he couldn't have. What am I going to do?
0: With yeah. That? He died. He died cause he was sick.
1: Yeah. He had cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And he was 23. So he was a young dude. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like what am I going to do with this time?
0: Yeah. What am I going to do? Willie? It's a podcast. <laughs> Start a family. Yeah. Help people. Be grateful. Be grateful. Show gratitude for those second chances. Right. And I I think that's the that's the biggest part that we owe. Right. Is the gratitude Mm. of having another opportunity. You know, we live in an era where the information is abundant about what has happened to us uh, as far as becoming, you know, uh, biologically addicted. Right. Like, like the information is undeniable about what happens when we take an addictive chemical and put it into our bodies, the the chemical reaction that happens within our brains that makes it addictive to the point where we are willing to burn our lives to the ground and destroy everything around us in order to continue in that life. The evidence of where that's at in our mind and, and, and how it happens and what the chemicals are and and all that stuff is just, there's, there's no denying it. Right. So we move over to, uh, the spiritual part of it. right? Right. So, so, uh, you know, spirituality and, um, this, this idea of a power greater than myself and the spiritual connection between addicts and alcoholics and people in recovery and people still in the street, you know, Take what you want, you know, be, be, believe what you will. You know, everybody knows that that's a struggle for me. However, there seems to be a need for some type of spirituality within that. And and one of the, the great benefits of, you know, like like building a strong spiritual program is gratitude. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I have to be grateful if if I want to uh, continue in this life gratitude is action. And so I have to move forward in action and that, that creates a feeling with inside of me that makes me not want to go back and try to get a second chance, like, like do things that, that caused me a second chance or, or whatever. And so what do we do with this second chance is try to help other people get a second chance, right? right through our, mm-hmm. and that's a, a definite sign of gratitude for it. Like, I'm willing to get uncomfortable and be transparent and tell my story and my downfalls and my shortcomings and work on all these things because I'm so grateful to have the opportunity that I have. Right. I'm so glad that I didn't die Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when I did, because this podcast wouldn't be here if I wasn't here. Right. I have Mm -hmm. three beautiful children that would not be here if I didn't get second chances. Mm -hmm. You know, I have all these things in my life. And people seem to like me. Yeah. You know, there's so many people that are dead that we don't even know what the world would be like if they had made it. Yeah. Right. Mm. But I don't want to be that person. Like, I don't, you know, I'm grateful that I'm not there. I'm grateful that we get to know what the world is like with me in it. And so I'm willing to do whatever um, is, is bring comes my way. Like, I don't get to call it like i don't get a, yeah i don 't get to decide yeah. what what is going to come my way that I need to be of service to, you know, and so that 's a good point um, a <laughs> I just point. have to be yeah. I just have to be willing to do it like yeah. i didn't i didn 't know when I first got sober I was going to do a podcast right. with Cameron and talk about food. And porn and all the things that caused me hatred within myself and, you know, drug addiction and recovery. I didn't know that I was going to talk about my past and my family. I didn't know that we were going to have guests on and that we were going to honor the stories of other people. I didn't know that I was going to own my own company or start a family or have a home. I didn't know that I'd be invited places. I didn't know that I'd go on a fitness journey or learn a trade. I didn't know any of that shit. Right. Uh, But I think something did. You know, something new, really? all that, you know, something mm. I, I'd like to think that, you yeah, know, yeah. I'm, I'm, what do you mean? Really? Well, no, I, I <laughs> mean, I mean, honestly, like, like
1: and anybody that knows okay. Willie, the way that I know Willie knows that to, for him to say that stuff might be serendipitous seems, <laughs> seems like a new sort of line of thinking. It, it, and it is, you know, and, and I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks.
0: <laughs>
1: but it's worth mentioning, and and here's the thing: it's like, how great is that that we're still open to new ideas and ways of living? Yeah. Right? Like, you're you're okay with like maybe this idea changing, like your spiritual nature changing, like mm-hmm. or the way that you choose to perceive or believe in a higher power has changed. You know, willing. Yeah, yeah. Like you're you're willing on always, and you've said that. From day one, you're day always one. willing.
0: Yeah, maybe we'll do a whole show on where I'm at with that specifically one maybe day, maybe a bonus episode. Because <laughs> because it it is difficult to 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 remember that uh, I'm on this journey of willingness and acceptance. Mm-hmm. That um, I don't want to get in my own way of my own progress. Sure, to sure. the highest version of myself because I want to prove my rightness. I wanna show everybody how recovered I am and how how great I am at this stuff and let my ego fucking take me back out, you know, because one thing that I continuously remember is that when I got sober this last time, it's been almost nine years or almost ten years, it's been nine and a half years, uh, that might have been my last second chance. Mm. There's no fucking guarantee that I have another one. No none at all, right? And and so it's not something that I take lightly. I try to enjoy my life and have fun with it. And, and, you know, I can laugh at my mistakes, and I can laugh at the disease, and I can laugh at the ridiculousness of the monster that's inside of me from time to time, but it is a life and death situation right. when it comes to uh, relapse on drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And, like, fucking dead serious, you mm-hmm. know? So... Uh, yeah, that took a fun little turn.
1: <laughs> well, but I mean, but it's, but it's but, all still pertinent. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean,
0: cause yeah, the second chance, like that might've been my last second chance. Yeah. There's no guarantee on that. So,
1: well, and the thing is too, is like you, it's funny because we, we always have this specific way that we want to show people how recovered we are. But by talking about the real things that we're dealing with, like in your case, like You always have this desire to want to show people, like, no, like, this is how recovered I am, that I don't deal with this anymore. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. Like, I'll show you how recovered I am by showing you how I still have shit that I have to deal with,
0: <laughs> that I'm still working.
1: Exactly. On that yeah. I, that I still have these thoughts. I still have these notions and I'm still open and willing to, to talk about them out loud yeah. and to address them openly in a way that hopefully people will be able to identify with. Yeah. Like one of the most powerful shares I ever heard in a meeting was from, um, my sponsor sponsor. And this is a dude that I really, really look up to um, it was in a 12 step meeting and he often, because he just has a ton of wisdom, like he's often asked to speak
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it just so happened that he was going through some real shit and he got up there. D- dude's got 18 years, right? And he got up there, um, on the, uh, like on a, it was kind of a weird meeting. Like they had like, a uh, a, uh, pulpit. A podium meeting? podium, yeah, a podium, a pulpit, I couldn't think of it I think it's the same it's thing. a p p anyways, they had a podium, and he got uh he got up there, and in front of you know like a a rather large crowd, he just started crying and and he was like, you know, I wish I could tell you that that you know eighteen years of sobriety looks different, but you know this is this is what it looks like for me today, and like that's that's the reality of, of sobriety. Like I don't have to drink over it. Thank God, you know, but I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with that. And, and, uh, and that's where I'm at today. Yeah. And it was one of the most powerful shares. Cause it was like, you, 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 I don't want to hear the bullshit. I want to hear the yeah. truth. I want to hear how it actually is, you know, and knowing that You know, like we're able to deal with that stuff in a sober fashion is where I take that inspiration. Mm -hmm. Like that's where I get that motivation. Like, dude, thank you for sharing that. Like you're doing that without drinking. You're able to get up and be that vulnerable in front of a group of people, you know, like that to me is fucking admirable. That's the kind of guy I want to be. Not the guy that gets up there and pretends like everything's fucking hunky dory. Yeah. When it ain't. When it ain't. So, I mean, you know, just that's why I like, I think that what you're talking about, like your sort of journey through spirituality and, and, and things like that, they're, they're important to share. And, and again, like it comes back to this idea of me still being here for a reason, like I'm still here for a reason. The reason is so that I can share my story in a way that may help somebody else when they have that second chance, yeah, that's the
0: hope, right that is definitely the hope, so I would yeah. love to help
1: somebody you you help me all the time, yeah there's a lot of times where you and I will have a conversation and and what you have said will play later on in my day. I'll be like, you know oh no. remember, remember what Willie said yeah. That, you know, you are a piece of shit.
0: <laughs> That's not even, t- I've never said that that <laughs> one time, but I, know, I, I shouldn't joke. I, 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 I hear what you're saying, right? Like, and, and I can only, uh, I don't know what else to call that other than spiritual, mm-hmm. you know? I do yeah. Like, yeah. Like, if like purpose being here for a reason, given a second chance, none of that stuff makes sense biologically. Right. Right. If, if there, there wouldn't even be terms for that yeah. biologically, you know, I got hit on the head and I am still alive. Right. Biologically, that wouldn't be a second chance or whatever. If that makes any sense, like, I don't know what else to call it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that we've been through what we've been through and we're at where we're at, spirituality equals second chances. Mm-hmm. Second chances are spiritual, I guess.
1: Second chances are spiritual,
0: yeah. We can choose to
1: look at them that way for sure. Yeah, And they're definitely an opportunity for us to grow and give back, you know. Um, hopefully, in most instances, yeah, right? you are. Even, even, even if they're not immediately, if that's not immediately what they are, that's what they become. Yeah. You know, in my case, sharing this story about, you know, the driving home from my friend's wedding, like that's not a great memory that I like to think about, but sharing it is hopefully a way for me to share with somebody that's been through that, that knows how that feels, yeah. or that may be struggling with still something like that. Still carrying all the shame that yeah, goes along right with that. now, like because I'll tell you what, like I was reminiscing about that with that friend, the bride, and she was laughing about it, and I'm just like, fuck, man, like I still feel. All sorts of shame and weird, yeah. weird emotions and feelings around that, you know. And I'm just lucky that I have friends that are, you know, that are kind enough to see the real me through that. Yeah. And, for sure. And again,
0: second chances. So second chance. You should write a song.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna write a song called <laughs> Haley and a <the> second chances. <laughs> we all get second chances for dances.
0: With Haley, with Haley, I could sing My a song favorite. about her. Yeah, she's uh, she's a great segue. She's so great. such a beautiful person. Yeah,
1: yeah, she was amazing, dude. Um, I, I mean
0: it too. I am a fan.
1: I I told her that I, I was like I I am a, a fan of yours because yeah. she was well, yeah. She was talking about how great we are. <laughs> <laughs> And I said bullshit. I yeah. said honestly, like I am, a, I am a fan of yours. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyways, uh, yeah, I I do want to get into her story because it was so great, super powerful. I identified with, with uh, with so much of it. Such a good delivery.
0: I I love the delivery of these things,
1: man. Yeah, and she she gets a little emotional, which I really uh. appreciated.
0: Like yeah, the, she told me that you guys both got a little emotional yeah. when you were recording it.
1: Yeah, well, she had a way of of conveying the message that was powerful enough that it touched me. You yeah, know? and uh, and I hope that everybody's going to get something out of oh, it. Oh yeah. So, what do you think? Yeah,
0: I uh, I think she shares in such a way that everybody will get something out of it, and I'll prove that by letting them listen to it. Yeah, well, let's, let's let everybody listen. So, without further ado,
1: here is Haley's war story. <laughs>
2: Hey, well, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Haley, and I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic um, and addict. Drugs are definitely a part of my story. Um, My sobriety date is August 28th, 2020. I have a sponsor who has a sponsor um, in a home group I adore. Um, So I don't tell a whole lot of war stories. I feel like, you know, everybody knows how to drink and do drugs. But, you know, what wound me up in recovery, how it was... Um, I was born in D.C., and I was born um, to a 15-year-old girl and a 19-year-old man, Um, and I was given up for adoption at birth. And uh, my parents, who were two Army officers, um, adopted me, and I have an older sister who's also adopted. And um, I think, (laughs) you know, that was kind of the start of Haley always being different and feeling different. You know, it just kind of goes with the whole narrative that I carried around for my entire life. Um, it started at birth, you know, uh, I was unintentionally brought into the world, which is common now. Um, and my parents divorced really early in life. I'm not even sure about the timeline because it was so early. Um, and it was just my sister and my mom and I, and, uh, we had to grow up really fast. Um, she was active duty still. She worked a lot. Um, so we didn't have very much, but we, you know, didn't really want for anything. Uh, we were normal kids. We did everything like kids normally did. We couldn't afford to do like recreational sports and activities and Girl Scouts and all that shit. But, um, we were pretty normal. You know, we would ride our bikes to the pool. We would walk to school. Um, but there was always this very underlying um, sense of anxiety because my mom was not the most stable. Um, she was very overwhelmed with two girls. Um, she made it very clear from a very early age that um, you know we should be very grateful because of our circumstances that we were brought into her life um, and that we didn't have anyone except for her. And, um, we needed to act accordingly. So I think that, um, you know, when I look back on my child, I think I've just been conditioned for so long to say, you know, my mom did the best she could. And, um, you know, we had a great childhood, but I've learned through this process of recovery and peeling back some of these layers, um, that, you know, I think I was failed a lot. Um, my dad wasn't around and, you know, my mom, did not hold back her feelings about him and how, um, you know, he, he rushed her into adopting children and now she had kids and had no one to help her. Um, so I spent most of my childhood wondering, um, you know, if my mom was going to be home because she threatened to leave. Sometimes she would leave for hours at a time and with nothing said, and I would wonder like if she was coming back, um, she would threaten taking her own life. Uh, and it was all because of us. It wasn't because of any external, it wasn't work, it wasn't active duty, it wasn't dad. Well, it might have been a little bit of dad, but it was mostly um us. And uh my sister, you know, we were in the same boat and she's 15 months older than I am. And like, she's fine, she's a normie, she's very like stoic, you know. She went into the military too. Like, I just was always. I mean, from five years old, I just felt everything. My sister said her earliest memory was me looking at her on my fourth birthday after I blew up my candles. And saying that I wished um, I could meet my birth mother at four. Because now that I'm in recovery, I understand that, like, I was wired. I was born wired different. I felt everything. I was not like anyone else in my family. Everyone in my family was military. You drink water, you drive the fuck on. Shit happens. Happens to everyone. You get over it. That was the mentality, Um, and I was not programmed that way. I was not wired that way, and um, I struggled a lot. Um, I could not keep it together, and then my feelings of all that anxiety and mom's stability and feeling like a mistake and feeling like. I was so different than everyone um, just followed my entire life. Um, I started acting out and getting in trouble in school. And then once I was labeled a bad kid, I was like, want a bad kid? I'll give you a bad kid. And I was a bad kid. Um, Then my stepdad came into my life and it was like this person that like actually enjoyed my company. And like, we had a lot in common. Like I liked his like Marty always gives me a hard time he's always like what do you know about Metallica and I'm like well this dude that was 21 years old that comes straight out of Desert Storm 2 came walked into my life and he was a little metalhead he raised me on like Judas Priest and like fucking Metallica and Iron Maiden like I was writing down the lyrics to the Stormtrooper in fourth grade on my notebooks you know like um and that made me even more weird because the only person that I ever connected with that gave me like any attention was someone who is not what I'm supposed to be, a girl who listens to freaking, you know, Backstreet Boys and all this other shit. I was just always different. Like, no matter what I did, I was always different. I was always weird. I couldn't find friends. I, like, remember studying kids when I was younger and just, like, watching them and being like, how do I act like a normal fucking kid? Like, how do I get friends? How do I be a normal... Like, how are, how are these people doing? Like, what is wrong with me? And, um, that question, what is wrong with me? I mean, I asked myself every single day up until I went to rehab, you know, um, I just had a hard time. I had a really hard time. And my mom had finally gotten to the point of no return with, um, my behavior. And, um, there was no one around that could keep her from making the decision she made, which is dropping me off on my dad's doorstep. And here's this dude that I don't know. I've been told my entire life that he doesn't fucking want me, he never wanted me, and that he doesn't want anything. he won't even pay child support for me. And um, he welcomed me with open arms, you know? Told me how proud he was of me and that I was beautiful. And yeah, all this shit I'd never heard before and told the exact opposite of, I'm so sorry, I'm getting emotional, I don't know what's wrong with me, but, um, so, yeah, I moved in with my dad, and, um, I (laughs) evolved my behavior problems, I was no longer, like, this angry kid at, like, I wasn't, I wasn't as angry, I was like okay for a little bit, and then his uh, wife, you know, my stepmom, came into the picture, and you know, she was not happy with having me there. I was from the other marriage. I was from a white woman. I wasn't black enough for her. I wasn't skinny enough for her. I wasn't smart enough for her, and she was just awful. And um, that little tiny window I had of like safety and security and like love. Just went completely out the window and so I reverted back to I don't give a shit Haley and I made my dad pay for never being there um I made him pay for exposing me to this woman um the things I put my dad through you know I just didn't care I didn't give a shit about anything um I I was angry and I was upset that I kept being failed and kept being put into situations where I was being hurt and I was tired of hurting. And, um, one day when I was 15, I pulled a bottle of vodka out of his freezer and I chugged that damn thing. And when I say that, like the second it hit my system that I was like, I like this I mean, like the second it hit my system, the taste didn't bother me, the smell didn't bother me. It felt good. I loved it. Um, I was in love. And I kept drinking. It's not like I stopped and, or I partied a little bit on the weekends. I got kicked out of my high school. I went to another high school. I got kicked out of that high school. I got my GED running in and out of trap houses on prom night. Like that was me. I did not give a shit. All of my friends could party on the weekends and still make it to their SATs. still make it to their driver's test. I had no concept of any consequences. Number one. And number two, my future, I did not care at all. I would, I, I didn't care. And I lived that way. My entire adolescence up until my twenties, I was a shit storm of destruction. And of course, with active addiction comes, you know, all these other terrible things that happen that shouldn't happen to anyone, you know, situations that young ladies get into that suck, that just pile on more shame and trauma that just fuel the partying and the drinking and the drugging even more. Um, but then by a miracle I made it into adulthood and, um, I literally by nothing short of a miracle, there's no reason why I should be sitting here today. I made it into adulthood. And I was like, I just had like this little clarity window that opened up. And I was like, you know, I kind of don't want to be a huge sack of shit for the rest of my life. Like maybe I'll get my act together. And I did. I got my act together a little bit. I went to school. I went to college. I got a job in administration. I settled down. I was doing really good and I, I was, I was doing great. I had great work ethic and um, I met my son's father and of course, I still have all these issues, like feeling like I'm a, you know, I'm not even supposed to be here. I was a mistake. I'm unlovable. All these like negative core beliefs that I've been carrying around for 25 years. Um, so I'm the perfect candidate for, you know, a not so great partner. Um, and our relationship was really tumultuous. Um, but I, I, I stuck around because I didn't love myself and I got pregnant and I had a really uneventful pregnancy but when I delivered my son, I had a postpartum hemorrhage, which is basically like what happened back in the day when like everyone died from childbirth because they just fucking bled out everywhere. That's what happened to me. So um yeah, it was just chaos. Um, I delivered my son and they called a code hemorrhage, and I wouldn't stop hemorrhaging, and they took me in the OR for an emergency hysterectomy. And um that was at 28. And that was really fucking traumatic. But I was a mom now. And I just shoved it deep down inside where I shove everything else. And I moved on, I drank the water and I moved on because that's what you do. And um, I tell that part of my story, because there were so many times when I my drinking got really, really bad that I would just look at myself in the mirror and be like, you almost bled out, like bringing your son into this world. You've got a chance to be here. Like, why are you doing this? And that shame and that guilt just fueled it even more. And um, after I had my son, 11 days later, I got diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma stage two. And when he was a month old, I underwent six months of chemotherapy. Um, and that was again, like, I didn't talk about it. I didn't address it. I didn't, I wanted to get it over with. And I wanted to be a regular mom. Like I, I had this whole lifetime of fucking everything in my life up. I didn't do anything right. But this one thing I did, like I made this tiny little human that was perfect. um, I did that right. And like, that was my identity. I didn't know my identity my entire life. And now I have this little person and I was good. I was good at taking care of this little person. And um, that was my identity. And um, I got done with chemo. My son's father and I, we didn't work out. I mean, it was a really tumultuous split and I hadn't had any coping skills for 20 years. Like, I feel like Every time I have to explain how things got out of control, I'm like, I don't even know how they did because literally I had no way to, I never learned how to fucking cope with anything my entire life. All I knew is that I felt everything. And then the second I discovered how not to feel anything, I clung onto, I clung so hard onto it that like, literally I had no way to deal with anything. And now it's like real life and I'm. 28-year-old woman in a 15-year-old girl's body. I have no idea how to deal with anything. And um, I kept it together for a while. I mean, now that I'm in recovery, I can see how things got super bad. I can see how other than my mom being like, you know, unstable when we were growing up, She was really, really good at conditioning us to be spiteful, vengeful people. I was conditioned to make someone pay for doing me wrong. It was my job to make sure that person never did that again. Not, maybe not think, think about not doing it. Like it was my job to make sure That person never hurt someone the way they hurt me again. And um, when I split up with my son's father, I mean, I didn't have time to grieve over the loss of my family. I got right in the court. I got a pit bull ass lawyer. I did all these things my family was telling me to do to take them to the cleaners. And I was just, I was so unprepared. It was all this adult stuff and I had no idea what I was doing. And um, yeah, I just... I started hitting the bottle real hard. And then my performance at work started slipping, you know? So I went to my doctor, they gave me a prescription for Adderall. Holy shit. When I discovered amphetamines, I would just pop Adderall and drink all day long. And I could still do everything. Never missed a game. Never missed a practice. Never missed a meeting. Never did. I was rolling. And um, then you know i'd have to white knuckle it cuz i took way more prescribed than i was supposed to and then i started like having serious issues with anxiety of course cuz i'm popping amphetamines all day long so i go back to my doctor and i get a prescription for benzos and then um it was just like that sweet balance i had you know figuring out how to drink all day long and pop Adderall and then come back down at night and um i did that shit over and over again for a year and a half and um I, I decided I wanted to stop and I couldn't stop. I had withdrawal symptoms and I was like, okay, this is bigger than me. I need to get some help. And I looked up a rehab. I flew there to South Florida and went and, um, I didn't think I belonged there. I said, I am not like any of these people. This is, I don't slam dope. I don't turn tricks. Like I'm not like you people. Like I just needed to hit the reset button. And I legit had, I mean, I had no idea when I entered rehab in August of 2020, that my relationship with substances and alcohol was that I could have no relationship with them anymore. Like I had no, I I thought I was going to go there and come home a normal drinker. I had no idea that I was, oh my God, and Cameron, when I did that fucking timeline where you have to like look back at all your your history of usage, and I realized that every time I put a mood or mind-altering substance in my body, I was like, ooh, I like this. And I just went balls to the wall. There was no stop button. There was no pause. Like 13 days into detox, and it hit me. I'm an addict, and I'm an alcoholic. 13 days, fighting them, telling them, I want to go home. I'm not supposed to be here. I just need to fucking chill. I'm good. 13 days, it hit me like a brick on a barge. And I broke down because I was completely fearful. It was completely fear response, fear-fueled response. Because I was like, this is real. I'm adding some alcohol. What do I do now? And um they brought like three dudes into my room to calm my ass down. And I sat on a couch in group and um I just listened. I did what they told me to do. I opened my ears and I cracked open the big book and I actually started reading it. And like everything that I was reading was was me. Like I could not believe I was like, I'm not gonna relate to this crap. Like this language is so like ridiculous and antiquated, and it's like everything I read I was like that is what's going on up here like that's what's going on in between my ears like I just I can't even explain it Cameron I realized that like I thought my entire life that I was a broken person that just did broken things right and that that's what it was going to be and I I literally wore like a badge of honor the fact that I was a broken, fucked up person walking around society, but I was so good at blending in and making people believe that I was normal. Like, that's literally what was going through my mind. Like, I've got this figured out. I can't figure out how to act like them, but I can figure out how to act like them enough to just blend in and be normal. That is how I lived my entire life up until I read something that was telling me my story. And um, I just... I can't even explain it. Like other than being super competitive and being like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be that white chip wonder. I'm going to fuck this up. I just, I don't ever want to go back to that place that I was in. I literally wanted to die. People in rehab were talking about how they hated what they saw looking back in the mirror. I didn't look in the fucking mirror. I hated myself. I hated myself. And I honestly believed that the universe, I certainly didn't believe in God, I honestly believe that the universe made a very grave mistake and that there was no reason why I was here. And that, um, until, you know, the hemorrhage didn't take me out. Cancer didn't take me out. I literally was like, you guys are trying real hard, but you're effing this up. Like, when is it going to happen? Cause I'm not supposed to be here. Um, and I accepted that drugs taking enough Xanax and liquor one night and going into respiratory failure was how it was going to go out for me. And I accepted that everyone was going to be better off without me. That is where I was at when I went to rehab. It was in a very dark place that I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. And um, when I hit that 13th day and I just, I said, God, instead of God, you know, fuck you. It was God help me. Like, what can I, how do I do this? Just tell me how to do it. And, um, I think that was my surrender day when I, when I finally realized that this was like bigger than I am and that, um, I was bred for this. If you tell me what to do, I'll do it. That is what I was, that is what I am programmed to do. That military mentality. Right. And that's why when I tell people that are on other parts of their journeys, oh, AA is not for me, this is not for me. I'm like, Hey man, like I, I, whatever works for you, I get it. But me. I was raised to just do what the fuck I was told to do. So I'm good at this. I can do, if you tell me that this feeling and all this misery will go away if I just do what you tell me to do, I'll do it. And that's literally what I've been doing. I just keep opening one door after the other, putting one foot in front of the other. I don't want to get up and go to meetings sometimes. I don't want to get up and go talk to my sponsor. I don't want to do a lot of things, but I'm doing it. Believing that if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm gonna keep loving myself. And right now, this is the only time I've ever loved Haley. This is the only time I've ever been able to sit with myself. And um, you know, just for today, like I'm not willing to give that up. I don't know about tomorrow, but like right now, I'm not willing to give up how much I love myself and believe that I deserve a good quality of life and I'm not a piece of crap, you know? So I think that's all I got. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm on Instagram. I'm at um, recovery baddie recovery <laughs> B-A-D-D-I-E. So yeah, if there's ever, you know, I, my DMs are always open. So
1: keep loving yourself, man. Damn. Dude, yeah. I really love yeah. that. Cause she, uh, I don't know. She touches on something there, you know, like, loving yourself is so powerful. And for the first time in a long time, she loves herself today. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I get that, you know, I do like, even though I'll try to convince myself on, you know, like on a moment to moment basis of, I'll be like, fuck, you're doing so bad. Oh yeah. Yeah. if I measure backwards and I look at, you know, my story as she just told her it's like, yeah, yeah. I can thank myself today Mm -hmm. and I can, you know, thank you Haley for sharing that story and moving me in the direction that I needed today. For sure. There's, there's a lot I could relate with. Yeah. Especially fucking not fitting anywhere. Yeah. We hear that one a lot. Yeah. I've talked
1: about it today, but it's so funny because she, you know, like we, we hear that one a lot. In my case, you know, I, I definitely can say that I felt that same way, but she had a couple of reasons why, right? Like she was adopted. Mm-hmm. She, uh, she was, well, she wasn't black enough for the black people. She wasn't white enough for the white people. have mm-hmm. kind of heard that before. Um, and those are two things that can make a person feel very, yeah. very different. She liked heavy metal. You know, she always just sort of had this, she always just felt she was different or weird. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and her mom was like, you know, I didn't really want you, but now I have you. And you should be grateful. And you should be grateful. Mm -hmm. Like, that would definitely cause some of that. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: it is interesting because she did say that her sister had the same upbringing and she's normal. Yeah. I mean... That's that's kind of interesting, you know. Like I think that that's that's the cunning, baffling, powerful nature of the disease. It's like, oh man, I don't, I I can't figure yeah. it out, and I don't know.
0: Yeah, and and I'm I'm I could relate with her. Like I'm sensitive too, you know. I can't just drink the water and move on. Like I got, <laughs> <Yeah>. I got to. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can I can drink the water and move on, but I'm going to talk about how I feel. Yeah, on the on the way. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm gonna, you know, because I am residual, and so is she obviously, right. you know. um, But I I need a little more discussion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I get that. Me yeah. too. I mean, I I can definitely be that same way. I'm I'm by no means a uh, snowflake or a delicate riddle flower. Right. But I. I fuck I need to I need to tap into how I feel well
1: and because what happens when we try and stifle that did I uh, what yeah like uh, she's an example I'm an example like when I try and stifle that I tell myself all the wrong shit yeah like I'm not I'm not thinking about it the right way like I start believing only the the worst parts about that situation Right. right and and I can't take any good from it yeah and so I don't learn anything I just learn how to hate myself yeah, deeper. I just
0: go deeper into the hole and, and tell, I'll, I'll, you know, at, you know, cookie. Right. And then more cookie. And, and then pizza and ice cream. And, and and eventually a drink. A drink. And then a drink ain't fast enough. So I'll smoke pills. weed while I do it. Yeah. And then pills. And then meth, heroin, gel, death. Like, fuck. Dude, it was just a cookie. <laughs> Well, it was just, I needed to talk about my feelings and I didn't. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It's the way I am. I'm sensitive, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that she's able to come out of it, you know, because, you know, she went through some shit. Yeah, she did. Getting sick. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, See, and that's what I mean. Like she had, she had a couple of second chances, you know, she had that hemorrhage when she had, she gave birth, you know, she could have easily died right then and there. Um, and then. And then, you know, she had the cancer and you don't fuck around with cancer, man. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's a reason she's still here, you know? And I think that she has figured that out, man, there's a reason I'm still yeah. here. And, and she, she recovers out loud. She grabbed, she grabbed that thing after yeah. 13 days. Yeah. Like it clicked. Took a second. Yeah. But once it did, once she was in that treatment program, that 13th day hit, it hit her like a brick, yeah. man. And she, uh, she has, she's really
0: grabbed a hold. Yeah. She's a great voice in recovery. We're lucky it. to have her. Yeah, and she shares it. You know, I see her on Zoom meetings or on lives or, I mean, you know, those kind of things. And, and she's about it. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Yeah, she's great, man. And it's, she, it's not always sunshines and rainbows. She doesn't always post about sunshine and rainbows, but sometimes she does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And one thing too, like
1: she, uh, we, we got done with the the conversation and she wanted to say, she's like, oh man, I feel like I didn't talk about any of the good stuff. Um, and, uh, and I think that that can happen because you know, try and keep it short. But, uh but she was like, her, she said her relationship with her dad is absolutely incredible. Good. You know? And, uh, and just the relationship she has in general with people, you know, she's able to have these relationships today. That she never would have thought possible. And I think that, dude, that comes from, for me anyway, is like the way I think about that is like, nobody was going to love me till I could love myself. You know, like when and I you certainly weren't going to accept anybody's love. Exactly. Like when I'm able to love myself, like that only then can I believe that somebody right. else could love me too. Yeah.
0: That, yeah
1: I see what you're saying now. Cause yeah. Yeah. Yeah, people will love me. People did love us. People definitely loved me, but I didn't believe it mm-hmm. until I could
0: believe that I could do it. Yeah, and then we can, we can accept that love, love ourselves, and share the love that we have inside of ourselves. And then, like she said, you know, not give up the life that we have of loving ourselves, the things that we're doing that are, are combating the hatred that we have for ourselves. And for what? Right. Because we're alcoholics. I don't need a fucking reason to hate myself i have oh, a, I'll find a reason. I have a distorted brain, yeah, that is looking for some reason to use some chemical to change the way that I feel mm-hmm. you know that's what I have, yeah, and I get to share this platform with people like Haley, and you know, people like yourself you know that that ground me, yeah. remind me that I'm not alone, that I'm not as broken as I want to convince myself, oh yeah, I do love myself today because. She, as she shares, I can relate with the good stuff. Mm-hmm. I can relate with the bad stuff. I can relate with the growth. I can relate with the fear. You know, I can relate with all those things. Man, woman, black, white, rich, poor. You know, all the people that have the same thing as me. It's not bias. It doesn't give a fuck about my age. Right. And here are people like her that are doing it out loud crushing it that so that I can be here and be saved by you guys Mm -hmm. again today right Right now one day over and over again
1: yeah (laughs) we I mean we we are the lucky ones yeah we are we are incredibly blessed and grateful to be here today and and to have your story Haley thank you so much for for sharing it with us I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it so thank you again but yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. It's a good show, man. Really
0: good episode, man. It went by fast. I feel that too. I feel
1: that too. We could have probably talked about it for longer, but, um, you know, I just so, getting
0: into gratitude and
1: yeah, I was going to say, I was just about to say, you know, like I just, I just am feeling uh, a real immense sense of gratitude right now. And, uh, as I sit here next to you, having just listened to Haley's story, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Yeah. A, well, it's not Sitting always, next to me. It's not always easy to sit next to the spiritual juggernaut that is Willie. <laughs> Having his light shine down on me.
0: <laughs> you can't have shadow and light at the same time. <laughs> Haley, thank can, you. I can. Haley, thank you.
1: Yes, thank you so much. Um, yeah. Cameron, thank you. Let's do it. Thanks, Willie. Thanks,
0: uh, Rylan. Thanks... Jordan, should we, should, we, should we pull Rylan in here? Anybody want to see, anybody see Nobody Rylan? Nobody wants to see okay. Rylan.
1: It's fine. <laughs> no. Forget it.
0: Go to, go to Instagram and maybe I'll
1: show you a picture. <laughs> Rylan, do you feel camera worthy right now? Do you want to hop in here? Hop in here, right here. All right. Come in, come in behind. Show the world what you look like. They're all wondering. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Right here, buddy.
0: This, uh, you sneak in there. Uh, This outro is going
1: bad. No, this is, this is perfect. Yeah. Now pretend to sit down. Okay. You're going to do a sign off. Ready? So I'm going to say something like, it's been a great episode. Thanks, Jordan. You're the man. And then I'm going to say, remember everybody, you are
0: worth the work. We will see you on the other side. Rylan, this is your big moment.
1: Catch y'all later.
0: (laughs) So original. All right. Thanks, guys. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.